Good to see you, church. Good to be here with you. Uh, for those watching online, also good to have you with us. And I mean it. Like, I don't, I don't get up every time and say that, but, but it is. It's good to be here with you. And I appreciate that and I enjoy that. It is. It's good to gather. It's good to celebrate. It's good to enjoy life. And, and if all things, when we talk about enjoying life, Doing it together is part of that enjoyment. It's part of that play. Um, Some of you will already see the title on the screen. We're looking at two passages which talk about the Sabbath. And I've titled it, Free to Play. Could have said free to rest, but there's something evocative about the word play. I had a bit of play going on this weekend. So Friday I was enjoying a good meal, some good food, perfectly cooked. Um, and then I raced off home. Uh, so, uh, I was catching up with some men um, and we were eating some good food. And then I raced off home for another pastoral um, encounter, which meant a second dinner, um, which, which I could do with. Um, and so second dinner. And then um, it was wake up early, Saturday morning, school fair, beautiful weather, um, sort of. And so again, we were up there early getting some things set up and the kids had a bit of a play and a bit of a fun. Then I had to race off, take Jonas to play basketball. So again, some people were playing and having fun together. And then we raced home, had five minutes to get changed, then off to a family function uh, for some more play where it was a pre-engagement party where the immediate families were getting together for somebody in the family who was engaged. And so there was a bit of play going on. And so I didn't make it to the meet and eat that we had yesterday. I think there were few in numbers, but for those that gathered, it seemed to be a blessing. There is something about play. And when we think of the word play, we often think of children actually more so. Maybe as adults, we don't think of the word play. Maybe we think of fun, enjoyment, but play just sounds a bit childlike. But um, there is a sense in which we need to rediscover our sense of play. And I think God invites us to do so, to rediscover that sense of play. We're being invited to play. You're free to play. Could you imagine God's church gathers on a Sunday, they take out some time, and some of them may have come tired and weary. Some of them may have come dutifully because it's Sunday and I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Some of you may have come full of joy But my hope is that you encounter God and as you encounter God, you hear him whisper to you, you are free to play. Aren't those the words a child looks for? Um, When I was um, in uh, South Africa, I was doing a short-term mission trip, just three months. Um, I became the teacher of a grade three class. I wasn't qualified to be a teacher, but um, that's what happens sometimes on mission trips. And, um, And the kids are lining up. They're ready to go into class and two of the kids... Uh, always, the same two kids, always had this look like they had been up to something. And so I'm walking past them and uh, terrible poker face. They've got their hands behind their back because they're hiding something. So I'm walking up and then the girl that loves to dob on them, she comes, grabs their hand and holds it up and goes, they've eaten the carrots from the veggie patch. And um, 
and like I didn't care because I didn't even know what the rules were around the veggie patch, but um, sure enough, there was a chewed on carrot which had dirt on it because they just rubbed it on their pants and it was a juvenile carrot, not ready to be eaten. But the kids, they had smiles on their faces, they were enjoying themselves. <laughs> and like I said, I don't know what the rules were, but it's no different to us when we send our kids down to get the cherry tomatoes. You can pretty much expect that it, not all the cherry tomatoes are going to make it back up to the kitchen. It's natural, isn't it? I don't even want to use the word innocent. We sometimes use the word innocent. I don't like the word innocent. It's natural. There's the fruit. There's the food. You grab it, you eat it. So the disciples and Jesus are walking through the grain fields. Can I invite you to play with me this morning? Because um, I'm feeling a bit playful. I want you to enter into my imagination. It is a little bit vivid and out there. Don't mistake my imagination for the Word of God. There is a difference. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and you'll see that there is a difference. But I encourage you to enter into the story with my imagination. Because sometimes we take the Bible and we go, this is holy. It's God's holy Word. It's very serious. I know it doesn't say that Jesus laughed, but I feel very confident that he laughed often. I mean, if you read the Scriptures carefully, you'll laugh too at times. I mean, when you look at creation, you know, when, when God was making the giraffe, you think he wasn't being funny? I mean, think about it. God's funny. So listen to this. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some, grains of, uh, pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. So you're picturing this. They're walking through the grains. There must be a path. They're walking through the grain fields. And, and technically, in the law, they were allowed to do this. There were provisions for the poor. The poor could glean from the edges of the grain fields. So they were allowed to do this, but not on the Sabbath. So some of the background we didn't get in that content from the video, which was telling us about the Sabbath and as God intended it, was that we didn't hear about what the Sabbath had turned into. So we heard about what God's good intent for the Sabbath was. Stop work, rest, delight in me. Consider who I am. Consider who you are in light of who I am. Consider your place within creation. The Sabbath was for humanity to remember that they were not human doings, they were human beings. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, this was a good law. That you are more than your worth of bricks that you have made. They would work 24-7. There was no stop. You were as good as what you could produce. That sounds familiar today, doesn't it, as well? That sometimes you are as good as what you can produce, what you can do. And the law here is enjoy, stop, rest, delight, understand who I am. You are free to play, humanity. Here's this beautiful earth I've given you. You are free to play. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they had turned it into something else. And it's understandable, actually. The prophets had said, you, you were taken into exile, you were a conquered people, expelled from the land. Why? Because you, you turned away from the Lord. There is now injustice among you. And you have profaned the Lord's Sabbaths. So what did they do? They were making sure that they kept the Sabbath. They were making sure they didn't work 
And they put rule upon rule upon rule. Don't walk this far, don't lift that much. And after time, they'd lost the sense of what the Sabbath was actually about. But the disciples, I think they knew the law. But I think something happens in the presence of God. I think something happens in the presence of Jesus that all of a sudden we forget all these secondary impulses which we develop as as we grow up. I don't know if you know what I mean. Secondary impulses. uh, um, I'm at a funeral, let's say. Something funny happens, but it's not a funny moment in the funeral. My first primary impulse is to laugh, but my secondary impulse kicks in and says it's not appropriate in this moment to laugh. So we have lots of secondary impulses which can help us. They help us understand the wider context in which we find ourselves in. But a lot of secondary impulses also stop what is most natural and good and what God intended. That's why when you look at children, sometimes you see a lot of primary impulse. (laughs) might like to place some boundaries around that, but sometimes there's much to learn. We can learn to play again. Do you imagine what a community like that would look like to a world that's forgotten how to play? So the disciples, I think they've forgotten. I think they've come back to just their primary impulse. In the presence of Jesus, they feel at rest. They feel safe. And, And they're hungry, so they grab some grain and they eat it. Now, I said... I do have a vivid imagination. Now, I want you to picture this, the grain fields. You might have seen this in movies or cartoons where the grain's moving. You're in these long fields and the grain's moving because there are some people moving through the grain fields. Well, the Pharisees, they're, they're on their hands and knees moving through the grain fields and all of a sudden a periscope comes up and looks. There's the disciples. There's Jesus. Okay, it's not in the Bible. But why do I say that? Because in verse 2, it, just, this, it says this in verse 2. It says, Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, see, we just jump, jump in and we go, Okay, what's that question about? No, what are they doing there? In verse 1, Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples. It didn't say the Pharisees were following him. Just verse 2, all of a sudden, there they are. Some Pharisees asked him, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They're just there all of a sudden, just like that, popping out from the grain fields. Well, if we've been watching how we've been moving through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see that Jesus has garnered a lot of attention. Some people are excited and marvelled by the presence of Jesus. Some people are wondering what is going on and others feel threatened. Because this Jesus, who looks like a Jewish rabbi, teaches like a Jewish rabbi, yet he says some things and does some things that we've already heard. He, he says things like, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. He, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. His disciples don't fast like good Jewish rabbis and disciples would have done. And we heard about old wineskins and new wineskins. Jesus is about something new and it's not compatible with the old and some people feel threatened. They've been watching Jesus closely. So whatever it is, they've popped out and there they are, they've got their question. But it's not a question. It's a warning. The word unlawful is actually, it's the idea of it's not permitted. You're doing what's not permitted. Sounds like a question. We might read it like a question. It's a warning. 
Jesus picks up on their warning. Now, if you were the disciples and you've been rubbing these grains of head and been eating it, you might start to feel a bit tense now. You've forgotten. And your secondary impulses are now kicking back in. You were just free and you were playing. And you were eating because there was food there to be eaten. And you were hungry. And now those secondary impulses are kicking in. And you're nervous. And you've just received a sharp warning. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now that sounds like a question, but Jesus isn't asking them a question. He's rebuking them. They've warned him and he rebukes them. Why is it a rebuke? Have you never read what David did? Well, of course they've read. They're Pharisees. They know the scriptures. They know the story. David was on the run from Saul. King Saul wanted him dead, afraid of David's growing popularity. And David had been anointed, though not everyone had known. He's he's to be the next king, but he's on the run from Saul, comes to the town of Nob, where the priests are and the tabernacle is, and he, he, he lies. He says, um, I'm actually um, on a very special mission from Saul. I've had to come so quickly. I need some food for me and my companions, and I even need some weapons. And so the priest says, well, actually, we don't have any normal, ordinary bread. We've just got the consecrated stuff. So that's what it says. He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. So the bread is consecrated. That is, it's set apart for a special purpose. So this bread was offered before um, the ark, before the presence of the Lord, and then after seven days it's taken and replaced by some new bread. Now the bread that's taken away can only be eaten by the priests. It's the same with what we will do later. We will consecrate these wafers and this juice. By consecrating it, we're saying it is just wafers, it's just juice, but now we are setting it apart for a special purpose. We're remembering what God has done for us. We are remembering that we have been united with Christ through his death and resurrection by our trust in what he has done for us. And so that wafer and that juice is set apart. We don't then go and take that and place it at morning tea time because it's now set apart. So this consecrated bread, only the priests could eat. But somehow, the Jewish people would have read this and they would have gone, well, I guess it's David, the anointed one. And so this law is set aside for that which is most needful at that moment. And so Jesus shares this story. Well, the law is not there to diminish life, but to give it. So he rebukes them sharply. And, and if the Pharisees in their mind were thinking, yes, but that was King David, God's anointed, Jesus finishes with this. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now this is Jesus' self-designated title. Others will call him the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, but he calls himself the Son of Man, which, is, which might be a little bit confusing for people. What, what, is, what does he mean by the Son of Man? This is an allusion to uh, a scripture in Daniel where this figure comes out on the clouds, this son of man, a human being, but this is a strange human being. Authority and dominion are given to him by the ancient of days, God. And people will worship this son of man, this one that looks like a human being. And so Jesus uses this title of himself, son of man. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is over the Sabbath. He interprets it. He pours meaning into it. You want to know what the Sabbath is? Jesus will speak meaning into that. 
And so it says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. So different scenario. Now, let's, let's picture a stage, a play. The spotlight comes on. On the Sabbath, on another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and he was teaching. So the spotlight's on Jesus. It's a bright spotlight. And it says, um, and there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. So another spotlight opens up. And you're putting the two pieces together because you've been watching the story. So there's Jesus, this man of power. There's this man with a shriveled hand. What's going to happen? Two spotlights, you know. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So this is the third spotlight now. It comes up on the Pharisees. Now there's some ominous music playing as well. Maybe not something so overt as the Jaws theme music. Not quite, that's a bit, no, it's a little, lot more subtle. There's some ominous music playing. So you're getting the picture. There's Jesus. There's this man. There's something good, but then it's on the, on the Pharisees. There's this ominous music. What's going to happen? Because we're talking about the fun police, right? Now, and I don't use, I mean, um, the, when we use the term fun police, like police uphold the law for our safety, for the safety of others. But when we use the term fun police, we're using it in that idea of that somebody's just there to stop fun. That's, that's their whole purpose. They're just there to stop fun. So you're wondering what's going to happen. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Now the spotlight that's on the man just went brighter. It just got really bright. It's brighter than the one that was on Jesus and it's brighter than the one that's on the Pharisees. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now I'm so envious of Jesus. It takes me, I don't know how long I've been going, takes me a lot longer to say things. Jesus, just a line. And he cuts through to the heart of things and just exposes the whole, the whole thing. That's, for all these years now that they've placed these law upon law of how to obey the Sabbath, he just cuts it open in just a few... Well, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Is it, is it for life? To enhance life, to give life, for joy, for play? Or is it to diminish life? As simple as that. It's all he has to say to expose the mindlessness of the laws that had come to be placed on top of the Sabbath law. And so the answer is obvious, what the Sabbath was intended for. So he looked around at them and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So now the light that was on Jesus starts to go brighter still, brighter than the light that was on the man. And the spotlight actually moves out and encompasses the man. And so now there's this bright spotlight, just one, and it's on Jesus and the man. And in the presence of God, this man is healed. This man is made whole. This man has come face to face with his Sabbath rest. I almost picture Jesus leaning into the man, saying something that nobody else heard. You are free to play. Go.
Oh, how we've lost our sense of play. And the man did so. He stretched out his hand and his hand was completely restored. The curtains close. They open again, but on the stage it's quite dim now. It's a dim lighting. And there's there's that subtle, ominous music. And it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the fun police will start plotting now because they've misunderstood what the Sabbath is all about. We were called to stop. We were called to rest. We were called to delight and contemplate the glory of God for our good and for the good of all the world. And in the purposes of the Sabbath, we're, you know, we can talk about, and I want to look at it in two, two ways. One is we can talk about this 24-hour period where we stop. And I confess as a minister, I am, I am woeful and still learning about how to Sabbath. A couple of weeks ago, we had a refresh retreat, church retreat. Um, Andrew did some teaching on the Sabbath. I encourage you, there, there will be people in this church that can, you can have conversations about the Sabbath. Because of course, there's 101 things we can say. Well, I've got young children. Well, I've, I've, I work this many hours. And we've got all these reasons why we can't Sabbath. Well, those are things to be worked out and talked about and considered, because this is for our good. So we can talk about the Sabbath as this period of time, but I want to talk about it as something richer and deeper, because you see, the Sabbath, when you practice it, you'll start to find that the Sabbath starts to seep into and invade the other six days of your week, because that was the purpose of it. That This one day of sitting before the Lord starts to inform your other six days, you start to become refreshed in a way that enables you. It, it's the same with the eternal rest that we wait for. So we're waiting for this eternal Sabbath. Well, this eternal Sabbath, when Jesus comes, well, Jesus has talked about it already coming. Andrew spoke about this last week as the now, not yet kingdom. We sometimes wonder, how do we make sense of these things? The kingdom has come, and yet the kingdom is coming. Well, you see, it's, it's, it's like a crossover, right? So there's, there's the, eternal, the eternal rest that we look for and here's our life and it's, and it's invading this life. And the church and the people of God are supposed to be parts of reflecting that rest, that joy, that play to the world. And so as we enter in this, into what God intended for this rest, for this play, it starts to inform all of our life. So all of a sudden you find you're, you're carrying around with you this, this sense of Sabbath, this sense of play all the time. It's one of God's primary ways of growing us. It's in that places where we stop, genuinely stop, where healing comes. It's a separation from the world so that we can take a moment to stop listening to the narrative of the world. Could you imagine if an alien came down and was listening to our news 24-7? What picture they would have of life and the world? Some of us watch the news and read the news 
And, and it's just so, that's the narrative. And yet there's another whole narrative which says you are free to play. It doesn't mean those other things aren't real. It doesn't mean that suffering isn't real. It doesn't mean the pain in your life isn't real. It doesn't mean that's part of the narrative. But this is the greater narrative. And in this place of rest, you also receive revelation that you can't get any other way. Until you stop long enough. I've watched it with our kids, and there's different ways of play, right? So <laughs> you can play in all sorts of ways. But sometimes we've had a no-screen ban, <laughs> and sometimes it takes a 24-hour detox. And in that 24 hours, it's, oh, it's painful for us. We're like, you know, there's complaints and there's fighting and there's all sorts of things going on. It takes a 24-hour period before they detox and their imagination starts to activate again. And they find they're playing things that they never played before and they're going outside and they're even getting along. So when we talk about play, there's play and there's play. I used this example with the kids at the retreat. We were talking about refresh. And I said, imagine you've come out of a desert. You're, you're so thirsty. You haven't eaten and drunk for days. I placed three beverages before you. Now, all three of those beverages, in their own way, will refresh. You know, some people enjoy a refreshing coffee. It's beautiful. It tastes good. The aroma, it smells. A nice soft drink. And, and if we've just come out of the desert, maybe it's a nice coffee. And there's a cold beverage of Fanta. And then there's water. But you and I know that if you've come out of a desert, only one of those is going to properly hydrate you. There are different kinds of refreshings and there's different kinds of play. Some play will truly refresh and satisfy in the deepest part of your being. Others, maybe not so much, and they need to be limited in how you do that. Now, some of you are saying, well, okay, it's all well and good for us to talk about play, but it's like you're completely blocking off, Jerome, the rest of the narrative. You're saying that there's no suffering, there's no real pain. I have pain in my life, you're saying to me. A couple of weeks ago, Vivian's preaching on God is, Jesus is willing and able to heal. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got a lot of physical ailments, none, none very serious, but you put them all together and they're very annoying. But it was a right sermon to preach because it was a right and good word. God, Jesus and God is willing and able. But you say to me, well, Trum, but then how do I make sense of the things that don't make sense? You want me to smile. You want me to laugh. You want me to play. I haven't experienced the goodness of God. And I, pro I, I, I can't pretend to have answers for all of that. But I give you this little, little, small step. At least it's been a step for me. When we're invited into God's presence and into union with God, it's a real union. You know what teachers would tell you about children that are in the very young ages of primary school and what they see on the playground? that little kids are still learning how to play together. Yes? Because each child wants to do what they want to do and it's very hard to learn how to play with others. When we enter into a relationship with God, 
Sometimes we want to play on our own terms. Sometimes I want healing and I want understanding for some of the suffering in my life and I want it on my own terms. And God says, I do have healing for you, Jerome. Are you willing to receive it in the place that I'm ready to give it to you? So I promise you there is healing and wholeness to be had, but were you willing and am I willing to receive it in the sphere of our life that God wants to give it to us? Because that's what it means to play with him. And ultimately, there will be full and complete wholeness. In the meantime, he gives us his presence, his love and his understanding. And the other thing I've discovered is that when I seek to secure fun and enjoyment and play for others, there will be a sacrifice on my own part of my own fun, enjoyment and play. And do you understand that? I go on holidays with my kids and I will do things that maybe I don't enjoy, but it is an enjoyment for the whole. And there are two ways I can give that, resentfully or with the fullness of joy that comes from the delight of seeing others play. So last year I'm doing youth and then Trevor and Sue come and join me and I'm like, I'm doing this not by myself, that's great. And this year I'm working with Anne and we're doing, working with the fives and sixes and the youth and it's like, oh, sometimes it's hard work but there's a joy I get because I'm doing it with others. God wants the church to learn how to play together again so that we can teach the world how to play together. But it's hard going sometimes when you're playing by yourself. May we stop long enough to enjoy loving union with God, to hear him whisper into our ears and our hearts, you are free to play. You are free to play. God, may you help us, help your church, Say those words, you are free to play. May you be the Lord of our Sabbath. May you be the Lord of our play. For your sake. Amen.